to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 293, recorded November 4th, 2018. So today we're doing the Next Generation Hive, issues 1 and 2 by IDW, and a gold key, issue number 31. Yep. Uh, And the Hive, first two issues we'll do today, uh, liking quite a bit. The story was by uh, Brandon Braga. Uh, one of the producers on Next Gen and uh, Voyager, and was he involved? He was probably involved somehow in uh, Enterprise. Yeah, Inter- well, he was definitely involved in Enterprise. Anyway, he's been out there producing for a long time, and now he's—I uh, think he's a producer on um, the Orville. I believe so. I think he jumped ship, and now he's on the Orville. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even though he he has written some infamously. At least one infamously bad Voyager script uh, episode that they produced. Um, he's he's written some good stuff too, and I think this is one of them. I, I like it so far. So he wrote the uh, warp ten episode. Is that yes. what you're alluding yes. to? Oh, that's what I'm alluding to. Gotcha. The 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 huge newts or salamanders or whatever we're supposed to evolve into. Yeah. So that's why we don't ever go to Warp 10 again. <laughs> Learned our lesson there. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, anyway, uh, pretty good. So, uh, interesting story. It's a little bit of a rehash, though, of some things we've seen before, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, but really good. And then, of course, the gold key is... Eh, yeah, it's gold key. It's gold key. Yeah, you got to cut it some slack. Yeah, but not too much. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. Well, with that being said, shall we jump into uh, issue one of Hive? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, September 2012 is the published date on issue number one. The story is by Brandon Braga. Writers are Terry Matalas and Travis Fickett. Art by Joe Caroni. Colors by Hi-Fi. Letterer Sean Lee, edits by Scott Dunbuyer. Okay, so we got four covers. Actually, there's like a fifth out there too, but I'm just going to cover the first four. Cover A is a Star Trek Next Generation 25th anniversary cover and features Picard, Locutus, the Borg Queen from First Contact, the Enterprise E, miscellaneous Borg cubes, spheres, and drones. Last but not least, there's a very hot-looking Seven of Nine in a standard Starfleet uh, uniform, uh, like, a, like a First Contact uniform. I like those. Um, cover is by Joe Caroni. Cover B is a photo cover of Locutus in a Borg sleep wall socket kind of thingy. Not much to say other than that. The Montreal Comic-Con photo variant cover, which as far as I can tell has nothing to do with the issue, uh, features headshots of Picard, Q, Data, and Wesley Crusher in a four-quadrant Brady Bunch-style format. 
Um, so it must have been some kind of uh, advertising for the, uh, the Montreal Comic-Con. The first retailer incentive cover is a recreation of the classic post-World War II photo of a sailor kissing a girl with gusto. But this one has a Borg, and he is leaning into kissing the girl while assimilating her. It's kind of gross. Covers by David Messina. The 29th Century. Locutus, a Borg, is seated on a throne-like regeneration chair, floating high above his dominion. A Borg cube, teeming with drones, is scurrying beneath him. He is alone in his thoughts, thinking about how he grows weary of the hive and its dominance. Locutus is out of his chair and floating along hallways. They pursued total assimilation of the galaxy, but never asked why they were doing it. Why was this a worthy goal? Now, with all the battles won, they are without purpose, and wonder if individuality was perfection all along. Five centuries ago, he was the Hive's secret weapon because of who he was. Locutus enters a room where a shadowy figure is seated who says, Greetings, Captain. After all this time, Locutus of Borg feels a small part of Jean-Luc Picard stir within him, and he knows what must be done. Flashback time. He begins 500 years ago on Rigel III, when he was on shore leave with an old friend named Vash. They are enjoying an archaeological dig that Vash has been working for some time now. They discuss one of Vash's recent finds, a bladed weapon of some kind. They embrace. Locutus. Picard looks up into the sky above, with a dour look on his face. He breaks the embrace and says they should return to camp. That night by the campfire, they have bedded down to sleep under the stars. They are talking about their relationship. Locutus, we are coming. Picard looks up into the starry sky with concern. He tells Vash he must go. Later, on the Enterprise E, Picard is at the con with the weight of the universe on his shoulders. They are heading back to Earth at top speed. Starfleet reports Borg chatter is at an all-time high. Everything is about to change, Locutus. Here are thoughts. Troubled with the voices in his head, Picard leaves the con and opens a channel to Captain Riker of the Titan. Riker is heading to Earth for the meeting also. Above Earth, the space station is buzzing with activity. Attack ships are numerous. Support ships are making preparations. At Starfleet HQ, Picard, Riker, and many admirals are seated at a round table discussing their next moves. Several of the more aggressive admirals advocate taking the fight to the Borg as soon as possible, but despite the spike in Borg communications, there have been no sightings of Borg ships. Suddenly, all monitors in the meeting room show a Borg queen's face, saying they are seeking Locutus. An officer manning sensors reports communications are blocked, and a lot of warp signatures are forming. Materializing as if from thin air are dozens of Borg cubes, spheres, and other style ships. An overwhelming force, despite the Starfleet force gathered around Earth. One of the Admirals orders ships and planetary defenses to lock on and prepare to fire. The Borg Queen says they come in peace, and indeed, sensors confirmed, 
the Borg ships have dropped their shields and powered down their weapons. Another aggressive admiral wants to fire on them while they are vulnerable, but Picard says, wait. He points out their ships are damaged, and his connection to them tells him that they are afraid. With Riker's help, the others are convinced to hear the Borg out. The Borg Queen describes the Collective's experimentation with interdimensional travel that resulted in their encounter with Species 1881, who call themselves the Voldrani, the rulers of chaos. While in their space, the Borg attempted and failed to assimilate them and had to fall back to our dimension, but the Voldrani followed. In the Voldrani's paranoia, they made it clear to the Borg that they intend to purge this dimension of any race that could threaten them and turn our dimension into perfect chaos like theirs. The Queen says Picard and the Federation have been their most formidable opponent, so she wants them to fight together against the Voldrani, who are currently at the edge of the Alpha Quadrant. The Borg transport an ambassador to Enterprise-E to facilitate the Borg working with the Starfleet humans. Picard welcomes the ambassador to the Enterprise with a rifle and a security detail, saying Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine says, Locutus? The narrative shoots 300 years into the future, where Locutus speaks to the mystery-seated figure from earlier in the issue. It is an assimilated version of data. Picard reloaded his positronic matrix and reactivated him. Picard says he needs Data to help him kill his queen. Data asks to what end, and Locutus says it involves Jean-Luc Picard 300 years before he was reassimilated. Locutus says he hopes Picard will be strong enough to do what must be done. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So how do you like the Borg uh, design in this issue? The, I guess future Borgs. Um, they're fine. They're fine. I mean, are they that much different? Um, uh, than than current ones. I guess they got that undershirt or something that that like body undershirt kind of thing that goes up into a turtleneck. Is that new? Yeah, that that's kind of new. Okay. Okay. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. But both Lacutus and um, the Borg version of Data, they. I don't know. Something, something's off. They look bulkier, maybe. Yep. Especially data. Right. Towards the end. Yeah, I really don't like that data. <laughs> I yeah. don't know why. So data's a robot, yet he looks assimilated. There's no flesh and blood on him. Uh, there's artificial skin, but uh, that's artificial skin. Right. But he's got tears in it, right? And the color's off. Instead of being like gold-yellow... He's more of a gray, right? Yeah, in that panel. I guess right. no, I guess he's normal. He's normal data he? colored. Yeah. Okay. So data was like a like a light gray color. Wasn't he? Or a white kind of yellowish. Gray. I thought he was kind of yellowish, but Yeah. Yeah, he might be a little Whatever. So he's got things implanted onto his face on one side of his face. He's got like it's over his brow and it comes down onto his cheek. It's it's a metal thing. And then on the other cheek, he's got one of those little round things with the four little pincers that come out and grab you on the on the cheek. Yeah, for no reason. Ah, it makes him look like a Borg, but why? Why would you have that in a robot? Right. 
Yeah, and then he's missing one arm at the elbow, and it's replaced with a, a cybernetic hand. Right. Yep. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't. I don't know why I don't like it. It's just it's too bulky, and it just uh, it looks like a Halloween costume kind of thing. <laughs> and yeah, it like, looks. Yeah, it I looks like the first contact Borg, which I thought looked so cool. Yeah, I think you might have mentioned one time in the past when we spoke about this. It looks almost a little bit like a Darth Vader, part of Darth Vader's costume. Right. Yeah, it's almost like they're kind of doing a, a cosplay of Darth Vader with the. I don't want to say quilted, but Darth Vader always has that under armor type thing that looks kind of like a a pleated. Uh, I don't know. It looks like pleated leather or something like that, but it's. It kind of looks like what Data's wearing in this one. Right. And then he has some bulky armor over over his chest and arms and legs. And I guess it's supposed to look like Darth Vader, but it doesn't quite pull it off for me. No. No, and I'm sure they really don't want to look like Darth Vader, but it seems like they're channeling a little bit of what they're doing with uh, from Darth Vader. Right. Maybe. And then yeah. he has the fake abs. That, that doesn't matter. Ah! <laughs> You're right. Though... That's funny. I really didn't realize those were supposed to be abs. Right. <laughs> yeah, so he's got a six-pack of little metal kind of rectangles, or squares kind of, sort of. All arranged right. like uh, like abs. <laughs> funny. I didn't yep. realize that. With, with little Dalek buttons in them. <laughs> yes. So maybe they're channeling several franchises. Right. Anyway. But uh, so speaking of channeling franchises, what do you think of those uh, big creatures? Uh, okay, so species eighty four seventy two. Yeah, I believe that's their name. Or no, no, not eighty four seventy. I'm mixing that up with the other one. Uh, well, what they got a number? Yeah, I forgot what the number is. Um, the chaos dimension. The chaos creatures. dimension creatures, right? The the Voldrani or whatever. Um, they're big. I mean. They're they're like they're like giants. I mean, they're like um, they're just like a big monster, um, right? They kind of reminded me of an emaciated rancor from. Uh, oh, that's it. Just to bring up another exactly. Star Wars reference, right? So it's got the multiple eyes, and it's got the uh, big, huge, dripping teeth and big mouth, big long, elongated mouth. Right. right. Exactly. But then it's got the little stumpy tail and then the three-fingered hands and feet like a Rancor does. Right. It's just uh, – and it's big. Like you said, the Borg comes up to about like the knee. So a normal normal-sized Borg is about knee height compared to this right. thing. Which is about, about how big the Rancor monster was, wasn't it? Right, when it could gobble up those Gamorrean guards. Exactly. <laughs> now, so, one, yeah, so. one difference, though, is it – kind of sort of looks like it might have some kind of tentacle technology um, strapped around it. Yeah, it definitely has tentacles around it. Um, I can't tell if it's technology or it's just something that's growing out of its abdomen. So like out of the stomach area, there's like tentacles that are coming out and then wrapping around its shoulder and uh, legs. Right. But you think it's it's uh, some sort of suit or something no not a suit at all uh, like a belt uh, um uh, just because it looks to me like it's a little on the silver side compared to the rest of the body mm. um but i mean it's like it has art it's articulated tentacles so um 
do they use them for anything ever? Or I don't know. Well, sure? how how we don't see them that often, right? I mean, right. Uh, I think in this issue we just see them in the one full page panel, or do we see them more times? Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, yeah. So it looks like almost like a um, what a um, Iron Spider kind of suit, maybe sort of. Yeah, add on a little bit, maybe. Um, but or maybe not. Maybe that's just part of them. I'm voting that that's actually um, that's their that chest area is where right. their genitalia is. So <laughs> that's just their that's like a loincloth for them. Because I find it hard to believe that any species that can create um, ships and stuff has right. has not mastered uh, clothes. <laughs> that's why I don't buy ET. Well, I'm like he ain't wearing clothes. That, that little guy did not create space travel. Okay, there you go. Well, that's a that good should be point. that's that's number one thing in the uh, evolutionary scale, right? You protect what needs to be protected. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, can you really see these guys uh, like manufacturing ships and stuff? You know, going on coffee break or something. You know, between putting on panels or something. I I don't. I see this kind of thing as just being just something that just destroys so maybe this is the warrior class or something maybe i don't know a little brain one and a little worker ones <laughs> maybe maybe and this eh. is just warrior i don't know could Whatever. be i do think that the ship the inside of the ship is weird because it's it looks like a normal like what we would consider a normal looking ship corridor you know yeah. with with bulkheads and everything and then there's like spider webs and vines and stuff hanging off of it so it's almost like a haunted house version where it's like it looks normal, but then we're gonna throw in, a, we're gonna just decorate it a little bit to to make it look spooky. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. So, so some of those things hanging off the uh, the hull almost do look like vines or something. Well, maybe um, they're supposed to be chains. I don't know. But what what well, purpose do they serve when it's a smooth corridor? Some of them look like it might be chains, but um, the ones along the side look almost like strings of bamboo. Right. Um, Whatever. Which does not match the aesthetic of the ship overall. No, no. But they probably wanted to make it look a little bit spooky and uh, maybe um, some organics involved too in the in the ship. I don't know. Anyway, the main point is they're the big bads. Big bads enough that even the Borg are getting their butts whopped. So, right, even followed them from one dimension to another. There you go. Now, okay, gotta gotta mention it. What does this remind you of? Uh, Doctor Who. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> well, we just finished that one story where the uh, mirror universe was trying to <clears throat> steal our goods, so it kind of reminds me of that. So, what do you? What does it remind you of? Um, completely reminds me of Voyager season three storyline, which went oh, over the aquatic aliens or whatever the uh, species. Fluidic. Fluidic. fluidic that's it. Fluidic, fluidic space. Right. Uh, species 8472. Um, according to Star Trek Online, they called it the, them the Udin. And they were involved in um, three episodes, Scorpion, Scorpion 2, and Prey. So, kind of similar, guys. I'm sorry. Um, the Borg are getting their, their butts handed to them by this, 84, this species 8472. And uh, they're coming from their, I think they come from their uh, different dimension. Hello. Mm -hmm. And somehow (laughs) Janeway in one little ship is able to figure out how to defeat them and save the Borg, which is like 
Uh, I think the enemy of your enemy is your friend, but I kind of wondered. I, I didn't always think that was the best decision, personally. But so um, in that episode, those fluidic space people take over. Well, the Delta Quadrant. Well, it's you know yes, there's always a possibility they may come after the Alpha Quadrant, but it's like man, um, the Borg are a real problem, and you're you're helping them. I, I don't know, but. Um, but that is only one little ship, and I think, if I remember correctly, Voyager had to get through Borg space to be able to get to the Alpha Quadrant again, so there was no way around it. They had to go through it. Right. So um, I guess I guess that was the logic behind it. Anyway, this is too much. This is just the next-gen version of that story. However, um, that's the way it looks now. We'll see what happens as it pro- progresses. Right. This is just the first issue. Ken. Exactly. I'm just saying, the setup is mighty similar. And we know Braga was very aware of of those episodes. Uh, he might have even had a hand yeah, in writing probably them. even wrote them. Yeah, exactly. Very possible. Anyway. So I just want to point, comes just up. point that out. The, maybe, the whole, maybe the fluidic space people come back. <laughs> maybe, maybe I. That would make things even more uh, busy. But whatever. But the fluidic space people—they could do like, um, like recreate Earth and stuff like that, right? Could they? Couldn't they? I don't remember that. Maybe I, I it's been they, a while since I've seen that those yeah. episodes. Because I think Janeway met with them, and then he looked like Boothby from the Academy, right? Oh, or am I mixing it up? Okay, I I, I got to admit, um, I wasn't much into watching repeats of Voyager, um, mm. so my memories are kind of light in details of those episodes. Gotcha. All right, fair enough. Anyway, so that was that was my point. Um, what do you think? So, I don't know. I agree with you. Um, I do think that. Uh, they they're borrowing from what they can for this issue. Uh, like when the the queen appears, uh, they're basically trying to recreate her appearance in First Contact, and then right. also they did it a few times in Voyager. But this time, instead of just being a, a torso with the spine, you know, shoulders. Yeah, just just the shoulders and, shoulders and head. Right. So they they've they've gussed her up a little bit more, and they've given her a big like crystal thing in her forehead. Right, which, which I haven't quite figured out what what that is. Right, she almost looks like Vision from uh, Avengers. There you go, there you go. But then her collarbones, uh, they have some sort of weird piercings through them. To, right, I guess to give them the S and M look or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and that reminds me of like uh, you know like a pinhead kind of thing or um, yeah, definitely Hellraiser. Is it Hell Hellraiser? Yeah, Hellraiser. Okay, there you go. Yeah, because in, in in Hellraiser there was that one woman, uh, what were they called, Cenobites, and uh, she had like her throat opened up or something like that, which right. kind of looks like this. Right. You think she looks hot? No, no, I don't think she looks hot at all. I mean, look at her. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the, uh, you know, at the head with the little spine dangling on the bottom. That's not sexy at all. Sorry. Heck yeah, man! Oh, the spine no is way. nice. Ugh. Yucky. Yucky so, dude. There's a movie called Return of the Living Dead, which yeah. is um, 
kind of a spinoff of Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. made by one half of the creators of the original. But anyways, they took kind of a comedic route to it. Mm-hmm. But there's this one scene where they have this uh, zombie from, and she's kind of like ripped in two. And she's this great puppet, um, but she looks a lot like this. Her She actually has her spinal cord just kind of like wiggling like mm-hmm. a like a tail almost. Right. While she's like talking and saying that uh, they want brains and nah. the reason why they eat brains is to stop it from hurting and stuff like that, oh. it's a fantastic scene and I always I always really like that scene even though I know that uh, there's no musculature on your spine to make it wiggle like that but it was such a cool visual and then years later uh, they they redid it in in first contact but with, uh, with electronics and oh so that's where they got that from you figure I really think they have to yeah yeah. But uh, but I don't know. The, I think the Borg one, uh, obviously they had more money, looked better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it did look pretty good. Plus, she was so hot. <laughs> well, she must have been because she looked all wet and sweaty. Right. Wow. And Data was like, mm. <laughs> Me like moist. Anyway, me likey. Okay, well, that's enough for her. Yeah, but the crystal thing—I don't understand what it is. And oh, is it? And it, at first, I thought it was just the the future version, but we don't even see the future version in this one. This is supposed to be the current version of the the board queen, right? Unless they're going to do some weird time travel thing, and well, this is this for this is the queen from five hundred years in the future. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we haven't seen her so far. I mean, probably by the end of the issue, end of the fourth issue, we may see her. The future Borg? The future Borg. The future queen? queen? Yeah. But still, good point. Multiple things are different about her here that were not in first contact. Right. But she still looks a little like Alice Eve, so. Yes, she does look like Alice Eve. Not Alice Eve, that's not her name. Oh, well, whatever that actor, Krug. Krug? Yeah, Alice Eve was, uh, she played Marcus in the new movie. Oh, okay, gotcha. Anyway. So let's talk about ships. Oh, you love them ships. I love them ships because there are several different shots. I think, there, I think there's more than one. Yeah, there, there's more than one where we're seeing uh, a lot of ships massed around Earth um, as they're preparing to deal with the, uh, the Borg onslaught. And there's all kinds of ships hovering around these, um, the, the space station. Which, right. by the way, the space station itself has some interesting little... Um, like curved docking parts that just remind me an awful lot of Deep Space Nine. Right. It makes sense as opposed to just the giant thing where all the ships go inside like in Star Trek Three. Right. Uh, this at least makes sense that you would just dock. Exactly. But so, you couldn't have a lot of docking. There's only like, what, eight? Eight of these little arms? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Like eight of them. Right. Right. Uh, which is a fair number. Um, but uh, some of the ships are arrayed around the space station. Um, it's an interesting who's who. Uh, some ships we've seen before. Some ships we have not seen before. Um, the shuttles look very sleek. Very sleek. Uh, sleeker than Next Gen had in it, I think. Um, and some of them look a little bit more like the uh, captain's yacht that was... Um, in Enterprise E. Um, and then there were some other ones. A lot of them came from um, First Contact. Sure. 
because um, there were a lot of ship new ship designs they did coming out of that movie uh, that Starfleet did in response to the Borg threat. Um, and then where, where their only screen time was just to blow up. Yeah, pretty much. And you didn't see them for that long, now. Uh, and then, then other ones are miscellaneous ones from Next Gen itself. So there's uh, Prome- uh, Prometheus, I think. Prometheus. I think that was the name of it. So that, that ship that could split into three separate ships in the case of attack. So you, That's the triangly one? Triangly one. So it's kind of like a... Um, yeah, so it's like an arrowhead kind of uh, primary. Right. Uh, uh, primary hull. And it's got four nacelles. Um, and, and that was, I think Riker was on the Prometheus at one point. That was a storyline. Um, anyway, so that's there. There's a couple of those, um. And it got split into four ships? Three ships. Three ships, huh? Right, right. Which, um, so I don't want to go into it too much, but it's cool because, okay, so there's four nacelles. So two of the parts have two nacelles each, which is cool, so that's fully powered. But then the third piece doesn't have a nacelle. Well, it does, but it's a small one that that is deployed uh, out of the top of it, so it kind of normally is up again. You know, it's kind of like, you don't see it normally, but when the third one comes off, it deploys, and it's got a small nacelle, so it, it can't be as fast as the other two parts, but it probably doesn't have to be. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting design. Um, interesting design. So does the Eagle Moss toy, does it, uh, does it break into its three components? No, 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 no. Nope. No, I think, I, I think it, I think they showed it break into its three components in the next gen episode, I think. I don't, uh, I don't remember that at all. I thought that yeah. was from a Voyager episode. Oh, Voyager? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. But uh, maybe it made an appearance there, too? I don't know. Uh, there was a Voyager episode that had the Equinox. But that was a very different... Uh, yeah, that's... I, I think... I think did, we, did we see the Equinox? I think we see the Equinox in one of these. Uh, no, maybe not. Okay, I'm looking at both. So there's two different pages with uh, that are full-page things. and And the first one is more... You know that's before the board got there, so that's that that's more calm. <laughs> um, and there's a defiant, there's a defiant class ship. And, yeah, I see um, that one. And there's some runabout or um, Delta flyers, two Delta flyers, and there's intrepid class ones like Voyager. Only one of them looks like it has a stubby primary hull. Um, and then we have a, um, a saber class. Um, ship from uh, First Contact. Uh, anyway, so... And then some other ships I've never seen before. I have no idea what they are. Yeah, I don't I don't know what a lot of them are. I think yeah. they just um, made them up or yeah, kind of repurposed, retweaked an existing class to probably. come up with their own thing. Probably. I do think in that first panel, the first full page that we mm-hmm. see all the ships, um, maybe there's a Constitution class way in the background, maybe as an Easter egg or just a, yeah, some so fan service. Way in the back on the left? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh, hooked up or either hooked up or 
kind of aligned, but maybe further back in the right. picture with one exactly. of the docking pylons. Right. So I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be a constitution class, but it is the only one that has nacelles pretty far away from the hull. Right. Yep. Which, as we know, does cause damage to the fabric of space, which is why eventually all the nacelles came closer to the ship. Is that is that what it is? I did not know that. I think they said that in in that episode where they found out that anything past warp five caused damage. So uh, that's why Voyager's nacelles were so different because it was oh. it was the first one that could travel without destroying subspace or something like that. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, there yeah. you go. Cool. Yeah, I thought that whole thing of starting to interject that and in what what was it like? Maybe the sixth or seventh season of of Next Gen, right? Like. Oh, we we've got to enforce some kind of um, reality into this. Uh, you know, there are consequences with running around the galaxy at warp speeds, and uh, it's like, oh, great! You just you just you just a bucket of cold water, aren't you guys? <laughs> anyway, so uh, back to the book. I do think it was a little odd that nobody, everybody, still holds holds it against Picard that he was part of the Borg at one point, even though he's proven himself time and time again. He has. But what did um, what was Locutus thinking at the you know, when we were first seeing him floating around at the beginning of the book? He said said he's a secret weapon. He was the Borg's secret weapon. Well, what does he mean by that? I mean, wouldn't it be a kick in the butt uh, if those generals were right all along, no, because then that means Picard is a sleeper agent. Right? Yes. I mean, wouldn't that be a kick in the butt if that's if that's what they're saying? It's, that's what that's what it's making me think. Right. I mean, I was the Borg's secret weapon. Well, how were you the secret weapon? I mean, that gives the i that kind of makes it sound like if he was their secret weapon then he might have actually helped them knowingly. Oh, right. Anyway, I, I guess we'll see. This is only the first issue. Lots of, lots of story to go. <laughs> so we, can, we probably should stop conjecturing. Right. And get on to the next one, maybe. I do want to point out that uh, they were not being very subtle with the, the Vosh and Picard oh. uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Which which is a little jarring for a Star Trek book that you don't usually come out and say, "Hey, uh, you know, we're doing this just for sex." I mean, <laughs> wow. Sure, it's one thing to allude to it, but it's another thing to just say, "Hey, we're just we're just doing it here under the stars. There's no strings." Wow. It, I, I thought that was a little a little much for a book. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a prude either, but I'm just saying it's just it was a little jarring for a Star Trek book because they're usually not so blatant. Okay, they might not be blatant, but I remember in Taws, um, there was one thing in there was one in particular in uh, in third season episode, the one where Kirk was in that planet that had had overpopulation problem. And some he somehow he was on an empty enterprise, and then he ends up finding a girl, and then he ends up like doing her. I mean, having whatever, and then and then they actually show him later, like like 
get putting his boots back on and stuff. So sure, that was a kid may not put two and two together, but if you're an adult, there's no other way to kind of interpret that, right? But here, so, Vash is just saying it out loud. Well, yeah, and I think she actually does care about Picard, and he does care about her. But she's very independent, um, and he's very involved in his career. So, I think sure. there's more there than just than just a little nookie. No matter what she said. Right, right. Yeah. All right. But All yeah, right. yeah, you're right. You're right. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, obvious. And, and, and they're naked, or they seem to be, uh, oh, under those. Uh, under that sleeping bag. That made for two, exactly. A sleeping bag for two, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go, Any... go, Jean-Luc. Okay. Anything else? That's it. That's all I got. All right, so we'll move on to issue number two of The Hive, which came out October of 2012. Um, same writing and art staff as the first one, so we won't go through that. Uh, the, it does have three covers. So the first cover is by Joe Corini, and it looks very similar to the last panel of the, the book before, which shows like Picard. Like it's split in half right down the middle. One half, Picard with a, a Borgified version of uh, Seven behind him. And then the other half is Lacutus with the Borg Queen standing behind him. And this Borg Queen does not have the, the weird diamond in her forehead or the, the pierced collarbone. So she's very much like the First Contact Borg Queen. So speaking of First Contact Borg Queen, she is on the cover of the photo cover. So it's just her looking all wet probably looking down at data in that episode or that that scene. And then the final cover, the RI cover. This is by David Mencia and it looks like the Lincoln Memorial, but instead of Lincoln sitting there, it's actually a statue of Lacutus. And above him is a plaque that reads resistance is futile, your life has your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will serve us. Service us. You will service us. I kind of like these alternate history pictures. Kind of reminds me of like uh, Planet of the Apes or something like that. Especially the Lincoln thing. Right. The Lincoln Memorial thing. So, all right. Well, the story starts off back in the future with uh, Lucutus lamenting about how the Borg Collective has conquered the galaxy and has not yet achieved perfection. He has a plan, and it will start with the press of a button. I guess he's thinking about pressing it, but he just goes ahead and does it. So with this press of the button, his motion, his plan is in motion, which we don't know what it is. But what we do see is that the Borg's spheres and cubes all around him start to explode. He then stands his ground along with the Borg version of Data and await the arrival of the Queen's Sentinel. Seven of Nine then arrives encased in robotic legs. So we flash back 503 years in the past. Picard is in San Francisco, and he greets Seven of Nine. This is when the Voyager has arrived from its long trip in the Delta Quadrant. He calls her Annika. Uh, he then takes her out to lunch at a local diner. And they discuss what it was like being part of the collective and now being part of the Federation. She tells him that the Borg are still out there and that they still needed to be defeated. 
Picard tells her that he has a plan and he requests her assistance. She quickly says she's in. Later, the holographic doctor and Geordi are showing Seven and Picard uh, a new a new Borg implant that will allow the wearer to become part of the Borg collective and yet also still retain their self-identity. Seven immediately agrees to do this. We flash forward three years. The Borg version of Seven of Nine has just returned to the Enterprise as the Queen's ambassador. A quick scan by Geordi confirms that she is still both Annika and Seven, that the inhibitor is still working after all this time. Seven tells them that the Queen does not know about her subterfuge, and then she also confirms the Queen's story about the Volardri's threat, and that the Federation and Borg Alliance is indeed the universe's only hope. Meanwhile, the Volandri continue their march into the Alpha Quadrant. They attack two Federation ships and then destroy with ease a large ringed planet nearby. Later, Picard has the Federation and the Borg fleets await in the Musara Nebula. Uh, they say that being inside the nebula will block them from the alien scanners. When the alien armada arrives, the Borg and human fleets attack as one. Worf beams over to one of the alien ships along with a Vulcan commando squad. Worf is able to shoot one of the monstrous creatures with a bioscanner. As the bio data is coming in, Seven informs the crew that the creatures were actually created by Borg nanotechnology. Picard orders all of these ships to stop and says that this has all been a trap by the Queen. The Queen then sends over a secret transmission to her Sentinel of Seven. Seven aboard the Enterprise starts to act funny and we see those Borg tech blisters starting to emerge from her face. 500 years in the future, Data is able to snap the neck of the Techno-Spider version of Seven. Back in the present, Seven starts to scream as spider legs start to emerge from her sides. To be continued. Now that's horror time. That looks like it is horror time. It looks painful. I'm digging it. I am digging it. Yeah, I kind of like the spider leg version of her. She, I wish they would show more of her in the in the future. She just basically appears, and then in the next shot, Data snaps her neck. Right. So maybe we'll get to see more of her here in the present versions. Perhaps, perhaps. But I'm I'm digging the last panel, the last page, where it appears because something that I didn't get on this, or I was not 100 percent sure about, is. Um, was she actually betraying humanity all along? Or did, unbeknownst to Seven, uh, that the Queen knew what was going on and was waiting until she made a misstep to clamp down and take over? Right. And, and those things popping out of her side. I mean, <laughs> hello. So she's got like eight like leg sort of hand thingies, spider things coming out uh, with, you know, Doc Ock style with uh, with kind of like Edward Scissorhands things at the end. It's very frightening. Right. Cool looking. 
I want to know where they all were because she's a pretty small woman and uh, there's no room for those <laughs> eight spider legs to be hidden up in there. Uh, I agree. So were they somehow um, instantaneously fabricated somehow? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but it looks cool. That, that's one of the things that I'm hating about movies nowadays is the whole idea of nanotechnology and uh, and how it's just basically magic. So like Iron Man suit in, in the Avengers uh, Infinity War, it's just like – it's like a liquid – that can just like pour over his face and become a helmet. And then if that part gets ripped off, it'll just recreate another one or, or he can throw pieces of it and it'll turn into little ships and stuff. It's just like, ah, I don't like it. Well, and I think the board kind of started that whole, whole thing way back in first contact when they first introduced the, the board blisters and stuff like that, that would then like explode from their face and then start assimilating them like that. I, at the time, I didn't like that either because I was like, "Where's this technology coming from? Where's this metal coming from? It doesn't can't just make come out of thin air, right?" Well, you're thinking too much, my lad. Yeah, I don't know. I know, but I I completely agree. Uh, in Infinity War, where Tony is just walking and he has the whole thing come over him and uh, the 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 armor and stuff, right. it's like I'm sorry, that's. I don't buy it. And right. then later during the fight, or, or no, he actually he's trying to get up to the to the space uh, ship as it's leaving, and he's able to fabricate a jet engine or rocket engine yeah, to give him more boost. Yeah. It's exactly. like, oh my god, really? Anyway, right. whatever. Uh, but yeah. enough of that. Um, <laughs> it is cool, though. I mean, yeah, it's a little over the top, but this this panel is cool. I like the panel at the end, the last picture, last page. I, I like it too. Reminds me of like something from The Thing or something like that. You know that. Yeah, yeah, that too. Thing. Right, right, right. So I like it, but I also don't like it because I'm like, that's a lot of metal to just be shooting out of her without any place for it to have existed before. Exactly, I agree. Okay, so this thing. So this piece of technology that Jordy and who else was working on it just came up with. So where does it go? I mean, and how are the Borgs not going to notice it? Um, it looks decent sized. So I don't know. It just seems like the kind of thing. The Borg aren't stupid. <laughs> if you have, right. have what a standard. <sighs> You yeah, wouldn't they notice that? I mean, it, I mean, okay, so maybe Jordy and everybody knew enough to make it look like Borg tech, but I mean, I don't know how good can you be with that. It's like at some point you just have to say, okay, fine, whatever, suspended disbelief. Just let's let's go on with it. This is all made up stuff anyway. But right. uh, just enjoy it. It's just I don't know. It just seemed unlikely, and maybe it was unlikely. Maybe they did detect it. Uh, maybe this whole thing was a failed mission uh, with too much faith in that device that Jordy came up with. Um, however, it does seem like it did work, and, and Seven, up until she was taken over and the, and the spider legs popped out, it looked like she did have her own... Um, consciousness? Conscious, exactly, her, her own will, free will. Uh, was still there, 
but uh, I still don't think it was some it was undetectable. Right, and if you think about that, that's that's almost worse. So you're going to be a prisoner in your own mind for three years, but still be completely conscious of what your body's doing, even right. though you really can't do anything. You can't do anything about it. Otherwise, they'll know who you are. Yeah. For three years. That's horrible. That's that's horrible punishment. Yeah. And what happened to her in Chicote? Right. I mean, weren't they a, an item? Towards the end of the – or uh, in yeah. the last episode, just like completely random. Right. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Three, three years is a long time to be a prisoner inside your own body. Oh, sure. Um, and she and, went through all that. I mean, she knew what it was like to be a Borg. Right. But she went back to it for three years. That's that's some guts. And it would have been longer, too, because it's not like they planned on the Borg Queen coming back at this time. It yep. wasn't. It was just like, hey, someday we'll get you back. See you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway. And then, um, and then uh, as far as, like, this inhibitor thing goes i mean didn't the doctor do something like that when when janeway and Milana got assimilated one time in the few in in the voyager episodes yeah Cause I, I remember there was that one episode where it starts off with them being assimilated and yep. you're just like oh my god what just happened right and then it goes up and then the rest of the episode kind of explains that uh they were assimilated on purpose and somehow they were able to retain themselves Agreed. Like, and I, I don't remember how they did that, but they did that. But there again, that's another Voyager idea being rehashed for this. Right. And if it worked in that one, then maybe that's why the Borg Queen knew to look for for this new thing. Hmm, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, well, I, I am curious. This is one of those miniseries where you don't really know what's going on, um, and I'm thinking that once you read the final issue, you'll be like, oh, okay, now I get it, and you can reread the whole thing again right? and uh, get more out of it. Um, but I, I do enjoy the whole mystery part of this of the book so far. Yeah. Oh, I, I enjoy all this. Uh, I'm just pointing out all this stuff that's being rehashed or sure. reused, retreaded, but still, it's a cool story. Um, I'm liking it so far. They just better – Better end it well. Exactly. You know, so this is looking a bit like uh, the instant reset button's going to be pressed or something, uh, which TNG was known for doing rather often. Right. So in the first grabber, the Enterprise D gets blown up. It's like, oh my gosh, look what happened. I got to watch now. And then, you know, by the end of the episode, somehow they went back in time or whatever. Right. Well, they've already established time travel as something. I mean, because Picard keeps – the future Picard keeps saying he's doing something. So you don't know if what he's doing is causing all of this in the past or if it's completely separate story. Well, I think – well, at least what we've seen so far, it has nothing to do with the past. You don't I think mean, so? No. I mean, he I pressed that think. button. We don't know what that button did. What button? Uh, he presses some button. To start his plan, and then it showed all the board cubes exploding. Then he right. Pressed... Yeah, he pressed the button. Yeah, we just don't know what his plan is in the future, so we don't know if it ties at all in with this past stuff. Exactly. So, and... was this really all... 
So did Picard actually know that Seven was going to be assimilated? So he looked surprised here at the end, but he knew this was going to happen, and he no, knew that this... 300 years in the future, <laughs> how oh, no. this was all going to play out? No, I'm saying the, fu- the future Picard knows this is all going to happen. The And he pressed a button that caused something to happen in the maybe in the past. I don't know, man. Let's just okay. keep reading. Let's keep reading. <laughs> okay, so how about those um, those Vulcan commandos, huh? The um, M. Asadi? They look pretty cool. And they look very ninja cool. Ninja outfits. Yeah. Uh, led by Worf. So it's like, let's get all the alien uh, bad, bad ASSs out here and uh, see what happens. Pretty cool. Yep. And they get squashed. I mean, there's, there's <laughs> one scene where it shows some poor guy getting just trampled on. Exactly. And uh, it, it looks it, – it, there's like a green kind of um, – almost like a comic bookish kind of like, like impact kind of thing going on. But no, I think that was his guts and, and blood. Oh, you think that's guts? Guts and blood, baby. Oh, wow. Well, green – your green, green-blooded Vulcan. You know, it's that's what's it's inside him. It's also what's inside these Rancor guys, because when that little thing burrows into one of them, it, it shows green blood. Oh, right, yeah, the little uh, the transmitter thing or whatever. Right, right. Let's take a little uh, blood sample, shall we? So speaking of that, so the, the, the bioscanner is embedded into one of them. It immediately starts sending DNA strands to the Enterprise. Seven says... Oh, I also see some Borg nanoprobes. Right. And then that is all Picard needs to co- immediately know that the this has all been an elaborate trap from the Queen. That seemed like a pretty big jump in logic to me. I, I had a hard time with that one. Because, I mean, he, you know that they've already had a dealing with the Borg, and it could have been a failed assimilation a- a- attempt or something like that. But... Uh, but no, Picard immediately knows this is all a trap. Everybody back off. Regroup. So it appears. I mean, if anybody's going to know um, or be able to make a conjecture about the Borg like that, it's going to be Picard. Right. Or Seven, because they've both been Borgs before. But it does seem a little thin. But um, It seems like he's right, but that doesn't mean that it makes sense. Yeah. But think about the implications of it, and can you take the chances of that? I mean, because I thought, I mean, I thought the Queen said our attempts at assimilation failed. Well, right. this is indicating it didn't fail. So, no, it just indicates that there's the presence of nano nano technology. It doesn't necessarily say well that they're bioengineered. Well, it or says, does. sir, they've been engineered using Borg nanoprobes. All right, all right, all right. So the nanoprobes did change the these things' um, genes. They're double right. helix thingies. Yeah, so anyway, whatever. So Picard calls it. Uh, if anybody's going to, it's going to be Picard. And basically the... They were stuck. Um, at, we'll see more in the next issues. So I, I did. I did just look a little bit uh, forward. Oh, I didn't read, but I just looked. Cheated. 
I, and, and seeing what happens after all this, uh-huh. oh, it's something to look forward to next week. All right. It issues three and four, I think. Interesting. But still, I haven't seen – so I, I looked in, th- in the third issue a bit. So lots of good things to look forward to, to seeing what happens. Uh, but I still haven't gone to four yet. So I'm, I'm not going in there yet. Until next week. Okay, All right. There you go. Good little teaser. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to mention before we move off of this uh, and on to the gold key issue is uh, Picard says he learned from a friend – to wait in the nebula, the Mutara nebula, uh, which masked uh, them from enemy sensors and then launched the attack from there. So who was that friend, do you think, Donnie? Um, well, the Mutara nebula, or however you pronounce it, was in Star Trek Two, which was with, with, with Kirk. There you go. That's where I'm Connie Kirk, Kirk was his friend. But did he literally learn it from Kirk, or did he just say that? Well, he said that, but... It's like, and quite frankly, in generations, it didn't seem like they had a lot of chit chat time. Right. It's like, hey, Picard, let me tell you, there was this guy named Khan, and uh, <laughs> he always thought two dimensionally. And, and so I went into this nebula. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. Or, or did he learn it from him? Not by 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 that, but maybe by Picard. studying him. Exactly. Yeah. Studying his tactics, even at the academy, he might have learned it, and then became friends also, later. Yeah, became friends later for right. a short time. Exactly, long enough to get him killed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it too, isn't it? So the <laughs> successor before they die. Well, yeah. So uh, Kirk's on the way out, and Picard ends up putting him into a position where he gets killed. Okay, there you go. Bye bye. Okay, now it's next generation time, movie time. Anyway. Yeah. So you think he did it on purpose? <laughs> I'm just saying it's suspicious. That's all. Huh. What a jerk. I knew I didn't like that Picard guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's it for this issue, as far as I'm concerned. You guys? Um, I, I had one other thing. It's just uh, it the the woman on the bridge that gives oh, Picard her. some grief and uh, Seven and some grief. Uh, is named Lieutenant Archer. Yes. I don't know if that's supposed to be a reference to Descendant. Captain Archer or if it's just a weird coincidence, but it seems weird that they would have the same name. Right. And the fact that she's kind of a poopy head. She is a poopy head, and why? I I don't know. I Once don't know. a Borg, always a Borg. Yeah. And she keeps saying stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, hello. If I was Picard, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> You want to oh, say, it, say it out loud so we can all hear it. Just remember who writes your reviews. <laughs> yeah, I would totally throw her on the bus. <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, Lieutenant Archer, I want to meet you in the airlock for a bit. Oh, spacer. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I, I, I just go straight to the straight to the end. Okay, there you go. Let's. So, anyways, yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, she just seemed. Really antagonistic, and and she had the Archer name, so it was just right. Like, I don't know what what you're trying to tell me here. Right. Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I didn't like her. Um, I I just had to mention one thing. I just noticed it, but in the fat in the last panel, full page panel where Seven's going nuts, um, Picard has his um 
his phaser out. And he, I think, he might actually be changing the setting on his phaser. You can actually see that in a tiny little page? Well, it's a, it's a full-size page. I mean, look at it. Look at the last page of, the, of this issue, too. So um, Picard's got his dolphin-style phaser, and that's right out of uh, Nemesis. So that, that, that particular model wasn't used before Nemesis. And, um, and he's got his finger on the setting, one of the setting buttons. So is he changing the setting buttons, perhaps, to something more deadly? Uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Well, do you know what those buttons do? Because it looks like he's oh, pressing sure. the top right-hand one. Exactly, which I'm, I think increases the intensity, increases the setting. Well, then I guess you're right. So there you go. But he's standing right there next with Archer, so I hope Seven at least takes her out first. <laughs> yes, with one of her spider arms. Okay. All right, cool. Well, that's it for me. Okay. So looking forward to finishing this up uh, in next week's episodes. Okay, so I get, to, I get to do the last one. It's Gold Key 31. It's titled The Final Truth. Its publish date is July 1975. I have no idea who the creative team are. And there's one cover, which shows Kirk, a female crewman, and a green-skinned, angry-looking guy. Uh, no, not that one. In a sunken ring of some kind. A weird-looking disco ball is coming down from the ceiling and seems to be activating pink rings of pain around... Uh, uh, Kirk and Company's next. A scientist-looking older guy with white hair and a hot pink ensemble is uh, standing out above outside of the pit, and he's looking down on them with one hand raised and the other one pushing a control button, which is probably turning the pain stuff on. Spock and a landing party beam down to planet Quodar for a formal ceremony to take this planet into the Federation. Admittance has been fast-tracked due to the planet's strategic location and their special natural resources of the dilithium and other minerals. Lex, I mean Toel, meets Spock and his team as he is the Secretary of Affairs. Kirk will arrive soon in a shuttle carrying Admiral Khan, Khan, yes, Khan, and a support team. Suddenly the shuttle lurches out of control due to a freak cosmic storm and crash lands hard on the planetary neighbor of Quodar named Tristus. They find their landing was softened by a thick layer of strange moss that covers most of the planet's surface. They exit the shuttle to cautiously look for help. They eventually come upon a city-state and are captured. They find this planet is run by human scientists using robots for the grunt work. Meanwhile, on Quodar, Spock is trying to get their leader, Arama, to help in a search for Kirk and his people. Meanwhile, Kirk and his people are put into a laboratory observation pit, just like on the cover, and fitted with pain collars to maintain control over them. On Quodar, Arama turns down Spock's request for an audience. Toel, the Lex Luthor-looking guy, says he would like to help them, but 
they will not take a chance of starting a war with uh, Tristus. They are very technologically advanced. Uh, wouldn't go well for the uh, Quodarians. Spock sets out on his own and finally meets Arama, who turns out to be a Vulcan woman. Arama arranges to get Spock a shuttle, which he uses to travel to Tristus. Meanwhile, Kirk and his party are made to be slaves and are set to work picking the moss that is somehow a source of power for the planet. They are told to work alongside human slaves that think of themselves more like willing workers, who are honored to be doing their part to keep the life within fed, whatever that means. The next day, Khan makes some muy muy macho moves and takes out two robot watchers. He goes on to deactivate the pain collars around his and the other's necks. They are all free. Chekhov and the other and another guy go to cover the admiral's back, while Kirk and Chapel go in another direction. As Kirk and Chapel make their way to confront the lead scientist, Minister Tonar, we find out Chapel can kung fu kick robots and has training in advanced computronics. Kirk plays tough guy and gets the minister talking about what is happening on this planet. The minister says he is protecting a secret. Their planet is like a hollow egg. They finally penetrated the upper layer of moss and discovered energies that were the fundamental energies of life itself. Without informing the people, the ministry embarked upon a grand experiment whose results are close at hand. The secrets of the universe may be ours. The minister told the people that their world would give birth to the ultimate living creation. So all that's quite confusing. But meanwhile, that while that's going on, under the city-state, Admiral Khan finds a door that must be opened, and he enters. He does so and falls into a genuine 1960s acid trip complete with swirling colors and planets dancing about his head. The fall halts, and he tries to stand on a floor. Voices from thin air talk about him and how the, quote, I, in small doses, can expand the mind of of any living creature. They speak of how they will reveal themselves when everyone is ready to accept them. Meanwhile, Tonar is explaining the eye to Kirk and Chapel, while showing what appears to be a very odd testicular sack containing six scientists that were sent in to study the energies of life that are within their planet. Though it looks nothing like a real eye, it allows them to see into the energies in their planet's core. Tonar says the eye has increased its energies exponentially to the point it can reach to the furthest point in the galaxy, and the scientists can travel great distances. Tonar finally breaks down and says his civilization is at its very pinnacle. They would have nothing more to live for if they discovered the secrets the eye can show them. Their new knowledge will kill them. Chapel, not Kirk, screams, Gone! as the admiral blinks into existence in front of them. Spock walks into the room with Chekhov, phasers out in case of trouble. Kirk offers the help of the Federation to Tonar and his people. 
After initial skepticism, Tonar accepts the offer and says he must make an announcement to his people and leaves the room. Kirk and his party also exit and depart for Quodar. At Quodar, Khan says he is a changed man, having seen what the eye had to show him. He is thinking about transferring to the Tristus project. They all walk out onto the balcony to see a street performance. While watching, Kirk composes a personal log reporting on how Khan is dealing with what the eye showed him. Kirk says he does not know what Khan saw, but he envies him for having seen it. Da, 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 da. The end. Season 3 episode? Oh, man. <laughs> Every bit. <laughs> so, I got, I got a question. Um, why is it that the last two Gold Key issues had to do with weird eyes and psychedelic uh, things? So, like, in the last issue, it was that eye inside the pyramid, like the all-seeing eye. Oh, right, right, okay. And there was that one scene where Kirk and Spock kind of fall through a, ho- a door, kind of similar to this one, where they bo- where Khan walks through a door. And they're falling, and they've seen all kinds of weird stuff, but they're not falling so that they hurt themselves when they land. They end up floating and kind of landing gently, but seeing weird, crazy stuff. Yeah. And then here, Khan has the exact same experience. Right. Yep. It's like, it's kind of, what are they trying to tell us? Are they trying to tell us that we should be looking out for this eye thing? Uh, I don't know, but yeah. I, overall, this is an overly complicated story, and it's all over the place. And they talk about the eye, but no lie. <laughs> what they what they show on a monitor, uh, what the minister is showing Kirk and and Chapel on the monitor. Looks like a nutsack to me, but <laughs> I, 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 do, I didn't see that when you when you mentioned it in your synopsis. Uh, it, to me, it just looks like goo, but uh, I guess <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, so so but that's the eye. OK, so. But when he's falling, there's an actual eye. Well, when he's falling, it's like. Is there an actual eye? Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at that page again. And it's like an eye, and then the iris has like... Oh, no, the, you're right, like, you're right, you're right. It's like, like he's falling, because there's eyelashes and, and stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. It's like he's falling into an eye. Oh, man. It's a good thing I'm not tripping on mood-altering <laughs> drugs, because I would really be freaked out right now. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Right. That's a weird picture. Um, Yeah. So what... Yeah. Okay, so... Definitely a lot of eye stuff. I agree. Yeah, I don't know. right. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know what they were trying to tell us. I don't know. But um, so Khan again. Why they're reusing the name Khan? Uh, yeah, I really don't the know. Same and everything. Exactly. And this guy's an alien. I mean, he is way alien. Yeah, he has like a devil tail, and he's orange. Yeah, I mean, he's got four. He's got uh, two arms and two legs and stuff. He's got a head, that kind of thing, a, a torso, but. His face is it's not very human-like, and right. um, I, I... And the tail. It's a weird tail. And they, never, weird say tail. That, yeah. they never say what species he is or anything. It's just or like, nothing. Oh, Admiral Khan. It's so, yeah. So, obviously, he's not um, uh, Indian, 
It wasn't it wasn't Khan supposed to be Indian? Oh yeah. Um East Indian, obviously. Um but I don't know. I don't know why. Interesting choice. Many interesting choices in these books. Right, right. Yeah, very strange, very strange. Yes. And then uh there's there's one scene where they're in the little pit and yeah. they're getting the collars put on them. Yeah. And Khan jumps up and then like a little tiny inspector gadget propeller pops out of his back <laughs> and gets him to go up the rest of the way before the pain collars turn on and he falls to the ground. Exactly. Yes. I thought, oh my God, where did that come from? Where did it come from? Uh, so I thought he was just like like Hulk. He could like jump really high. But no, when I looked closer, there was a teeny tiny little helicopter. And those rotors diameter all the way across couldn't have been more than, what, a foot and a half or something? Oh, not even that. It, but it's, it's tiny. En- enough to get him airborne? Well, apparently. It. Well, yeah, it's very odd. And why did they do that? I mean, why did – okay, I don't know. It didn't serve a purpose later. It's not like no. they were setting up something later. Like, oh, nope. yeah, don't forget that he has a propeller back. Exactly. It'll get him out of a, a, a tough situation. No, it never came up again. Nope. Or is this how he – no, he was teleported. I was thinking for, for a second, is that how he got out of this eye area since he fell down into it? But no, he was just like teleported into the room with everybody else with no explanation. Right, right. So, I don't know. Yeah, not good. No. They could have they could have explained that a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Um yeah. So what do you think of Chapel? Um I liked her karate kicks. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's great. That I mean he she was kicking butt a lot more between her and Khan. Uh Kirk was basically a pacifist. He was just like like doing nothing. He was like react, reacting to things until the very end where he's confronting the minister. And he wasn't physically doing anything to anybody. Well, he was threatened with a phaser. But other than that, um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so she replaced McCoy. So you didn't see McCoy um, on the landing party. Okay, so medical. That makes sense. But then, then she's replacing Spock basically because she's a computronics She's had advanced computronics training. And there's – I didn't mention it, but there's a part where she's actually dealing with the minister's computer. Right. Quote, programming the minister's computer and getting information out of it, which is like, okay. Um, and, then, and then she basically replaces a whole platoon uh, or a security detail with her karate kicks uh, uh, taking, taking out robots. <laughs> Give her some credit. This is seventies. We didn't know how computers were going to work. No, no. Okay, so this thing is huge. I mean, this is like, this is really big. This is like heavy industrial equipment that they show, which is probably. Sure. I mean, that I guess computers were were like big things like that back then. That's fine, but still, I, apparently they didn't even have the the wording, the terminology down yet. Computronics. Okay, whatever. Yeah, they thought that was going to take off. <laughs> right. Instead of computer sciences or whatever. Right. They use. Yeah. I don't know. This whole story I thought was really confusing. I didn't like how they would cut back from, I mean, in one page, there's 
you know, six panels or whatever, and then three of the panels would be what Spock's doing, and then suddenly they change to what Kirk's doing. Yeah. Without, like, the meanwhile or something like that up there to tell me that they suddenly switched. And because the art style is very similar and not everybody's always colored consistently, I often thought, oh, Spock's here with Kirk now. Oh, wait, no, that's that's another guy in a green shirt. Or something like that. Just like, <laughs> I had a really hard time following this book. Yeah, and it didn't help that that Kirk had black hair and didn't look like like William Shatner, right? Um, Except for those some some of those close ups where it was obviously a stock footage that they just redrew. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And of course, the uh, the issue did have it re- has did have the requirement that Spock is shown at least once. With a stupidly huge hobgoblin ear. <laughs> Several times, yeah. Well, at least once. So right, there's right. one where he's like in the shuttle, speaking, like, speaking to the Vulcan yep. uh, leader or whatever, and he's got it. His oh my god, it looks like it's just huge. The ear is. I think huge. he might. I think this spot might be Ferengi. <laughs> there you go. There you go. He's part Ferengi. And, of course, the other thing that's a requirement is that you have somebody drawn like Lex Luthor. Yeah, I don't know why Gold Key loved Lex Luthor so bad, but I don't did. know. I don't know. Uh, of course, in this guy, he, he's a minister of something or rather on o- Odell or, o- well, whatever, the other planet. So he's not, he's not a bad guy or anything. Um, we're often – the guy that looks like Lex Luthor is a bad guy, but not in this issue. He's just there to – I don't know, take care of a contractual obligation? Right. Yeah, just like, hey, uh, you can't go to the other planet. <laughs> right. We, yeah, we'd like to help you, but no. Sorry. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about this. Uh, I don't think I have anything, <laughs> actually. I, I keep wanting to give Gold Key benefit of a doubt, but and I do like a lot of them, but these last couple... They've been tough. <laughs> They're tough reads. They are tough reads. A huge amount of dialogue and confusing. And like, I don't know. Some of the things they, they inject in these stories are like, why? And and there's enough going on. There's enough complexity going on that I can't see any kid who this was probably aimed at. I can't see a kid really enjoying the story. I mean, maybe they like the drawing and stuff and the colorful stuff going on or whatever, but um, I can't see them following the story and enjoying it. Right. I did think Khan looked pretty cool as yeah. far as just a kid reading a comic book. I mean, right. he's very comic booky with the high boots and the no pants and, mm-hmm. you know, not at all practical, but uh, I guess it looked kind of cool. Yeah. And that's definitely not a Starfleet uniform that he's got on. Not at right. all. He's supposed to be an admiral. Yeah, remind me what he's an admiral of because it's it's not the well, normal chain of command. Because no, like, he keeps like I'm an admiral, and and Picard, or Kirk's like uh, I, I forget what it was. It was uh, like I, a, some kind of administrative. Yeah, like yeah, he's an admiral, but he tends to be involved in uh, you know making sure to keep the ship stocked with uh, food or something. With food or something. Yeah, uh, you're the food service admiral. Exactly, or maybe logistics. He's the logistics admiral or something. So. Right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Okay, cool. 
All right. Well, next week we're going to do another gold key along with the, the last two of the uh, hive. Exactly. So we'll be doing issue 32 next week of gold key and then uh, three and four of the hive. Maybe 32 is when they started getting really good. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. Maybe we get some more paper mache um, famous buildings involved. Hey, dude, I still like that episode. I, the, the voodoo I, planet? I don't believe that. I do. I, I'm sorry. I to don't me, that's, that. that's, that's good gold key. Okay, there you go. All right. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week. Right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.